the European Championships on Caught Offside. It's Mbappe to keep France in the tournament. And Mbappe's the one to falter. He's the fall guy. Danny Olmo, good-looking ball. Bonassa! Lethal! Is Jack Grealish playing in there? And now Harry Kane breaks his European duck. And England are in dreamland. Now here's Andrew Gunland and J.J. DeVette. West Side of Manhattan, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney at the conclusion of a thrilling round of 16. What's up, brother? Is this the best tournament we've ever watched together? That's a big statement. I mean, answering it right now without giving it really any serious thought, yes. I think so. I think it, yeah. Now, I'd have to go back and remember a little bit more about the 2014 World Cup. I mean, obviously... It wasn't that good. <laughs> it wasn't as good as this. Just the drama, the storylines. When you think it's over, when you think, when you tweet things like, is this Spain growing into the tournament at 3-1, only to see them almost eliminated? You know... Well, the narrative... When you're convinced... That Rodriguez, no, when Rodriguez misses a penalty and is punished to the point of that's it and Seferovich gets a header, but you're like, ah, oh, that's consolation prize. But no, it's not. Um, unbelievable, breathless twists and turns, so absorbing. Even the game today, the one that probably everybody said, look, I need to time out here. <laughs> those Those people who are not professionals and don't have to watch the games, they probably thought, Ukraine and Sweden, you're going to give me a chance to walk the dog here or to make a cup of tea or to make dinner or even to call a loved one. But that was great too, in its own way. I, I mean, the the narrative changes are enough to give you whiplash. Like, yeah. And we'll go through most of these, I'd say, in, in at least some level of detail. Obviously, the, there are standout games that we will get to in greater levels of detail but like just to kind of go through that statement with a little more clarity you know a few days ago Italy were the class of the tournament a few days later they're lucky to have survived Austria you know a week ago Spain couldn't score a goal you know if they stumbled with the ball into the net now they've scored 10 in their last two Croatia they're old they're too old forget about it Oh, let's make a few substitutions and completely flip this game on its head. Unai Simon. How about that? Let's not, let's not, let's think three moves ahead and let the ball roll into the net. Ah. A few days ago, the group of death was one of the most intimida- intimidating groups ever assembled. Now, out of the round of 16, none are left. This, I mean, the tournament has given you everything. Uh, it's been so much fun. This round in particular. Look, Ger- the, the Germ- stage- Germany are back. They're back. 4-2 <laughs> against Portugal. No, they're not. No. No. It's given us everything. And, and it's only in the round of... We're only now just closing out the round of 16. Uh, people can say what they want about you know the group stage. If the format doesn't deliver drama in the way that it used to, just go, giving the top two spots uh, advancement into the, the quarterfinals. Right. 
Look, that is, I mean, there may be a certain level of truth to that. But look, once we get to the knockout stage, it's amazing how quickly your brain kind of just like shuts that out. And it's like, okay, now we're at the business end of this tournament and it's delivered so far. It's, it was, it's been an incredibly fun few days. I, I do think that today uh, really separated the proper football men and women from the novices, the tournament novices. That who, feels who, like an incredibly arrogant statement, but I want to hear the rest of why, why you're saying let me Let me tease this one out for you. Because yesterday, if you're, if you're a soccer novice and you've just tuned into this tournament and you saw what happened yesterday with France, Switzerland, and Spain, Croatia, oh my God, the wonder, the absolute stunning wonder, the drama, the theater of the absurd, mm-hmm. as to, bar, to quote a line from Derek Ray. And... Then you had England and Germany today to kind of just bring you back to what football is really for most of the time. <laughs> it's a 2-0 it's a that's just about deserved. Yeah, a buddy of mine yesterday who, I mean, uh, in, in our history of friendship, have probably exchanged somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10,000 text messages. Yesterday was the first soccer-related one he ever sent uh, to to me and, and this group text that we're on. He said, the soccer today was amazing. Not sure who, other than Gunling, I assume, saw it, but really fun. Okay. It just goes to show what you're saying is like, the nov- even the novices who couldn't possibly care less, who don't know the difference between this tournament and the World Cup and the Copa America, even they understood that something crazy was happening yesterday. The two men in their 60s who wandered into a bar in Park Slope when I was watching England and Scotland, looked around and said to each other, must be a soccer game on. This place will get wild. Do you want to drink out front? This is the accent that two men in their 60s in Brooklyn spoke with. Yeah. This is what the best you can do. That's how, that's how they talked. <laughs> they stumbled re- in from Milwaukee? I'm recounting it part. Well, okay. All right. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm going a bit far. Let's get to some of it. Now, let's start with... with Today's game, today's first game, England and Germany, it was one of the glamour fixtures, if not the glamour fixture from the round of 16 Mm. at Wembley, two old rivals, um, and England get it done. Yes, they do get it done, and that is the correct term. The criticism of Southgate's lineup, again, was there. The omission of Jack Grealish, the, the boredom that people predicted from this game was, uh, was there, uh, but what was there was also vindication for Gareth Southgate. In the words of, or the tweet of Jack Pitbrook, he said, "Thumping vindication." And you, you, can't, based on this game, and we'll talk about Germany's many, many problems. But based on this game, you can't argue with what Southgate did. Now he played a midfield, which had wing backs, <clears throat> Trippier, Shaw, and then in the middle of the park you had Phillips and Rice. It's mm. not, it's not going to excite the life out of you. But uh, Saka kept his place, rightly so, I think. And then the the Germans were sufficiently softened for Jack Grealish to be introduced, and he had an impact. Yeah, I, he certainly did. I think I think um, I, I think Southgate got it right. And wow, I've, I'm saying these. I'm speaking this, these words. Well, I'll say this. I mean. You can, I understand an England fan, we've talked about this now, from our group previews through last week through this week, I I do understand their frustration because they see some of the attacking names on this team and they want to see not just winning football, but they want to see fun football as well. Mm. But ultimately, that doesn't matter. Like, no, it that's not That's not what it's about. Oh, no, it doesn't. And it, so, like, when I see stats like this, like, you, you can be critical of Southgate because you want to see something fun, but JJ... 
Germany finished today with four chances created, their fewest in a major tournament game since the 2010 World Cup semifinal loss to Spain when they had just three. Like, that's what Gareth Southgate and this team that he put out there today did to Germany. Now, I know this is a different German side that isn't necessarily as threatening, but yeah, it's still a good Germany team that has attacking players that are intimidating. Uh, so I'm I'm okay with it at this point. It, w- it was an interesting game because if you looked at the way Germany started the game and they, they slipped into this rhythm very very quickly, you thought this could be a this could be a long game for England, and slowly but surely that ebbed. That it, didn't last very long. I, I would think say it was about I, t- the first ten minutes or so Germany I, looked threatening. I gave it a marker. I think it was the first fifteen minutes, and then Sterling curls one, which Neuer. He, he saves it easily for a keeper of his class, but it's right. still a good effort. And then there's the free header for for Maguire. You see Rudiger come out. I know they were playing with a back three. You see Rudiger come out to get Saka, and you think, this isn't great from Germany. And then after that, Andrew, chances were limited. Now, Jordan Pickford's save was huge um, to deny Timo Werner. And I think after that, England... There was a lot of the game where a lot of people after yesterday's absolute joy of football weren't enjoying this one so much. And, you know, this is boring. This is yawn. Whatever. This is more like a around the 16 tournament game, I would suggest, uh, as was Italy and Austria. But I think England England looked fairly composed. They were relatively untroubled. And yeah, Germany, I mean- nothing, nothing seemed to work for Germany. For as much as Kane was a bystander for this game, and he was a bystander. Until he wasn't, but you're right. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, but you've got to look at what we saw for the majority of that game. It it was it was not good. Goals matter, but continue. I was wondering at which point do you have to take this guy out um, in the non-mafia sense. It's a good thing you're not managing the team. Yeah, okay. Um, fine. But, but, <laughs> but Muller, complete non-entity. Gnabry comes in, nothing. Uh, Timo Werner fluffing his lines like... Like, I, I almost think you're doing Mueller a favor by saying a non-entity. In, in moments, he was almost a liability. Yeah. And, he, and then when he needed to be an entity. His miss was one of the misses of the tournament. I, I, you know what one of the scenes of the tournament was? The long-angled camera, so it would have been behind uh, Manuel Neuer's goal, that picks up Sterling. The ball's already gone. He's mm-hmm. out of the play. It's not a tracking back issue. And he falls to his knees into a hunch with his hands on his head because he sees the net rattling. And it's almost as if you can see his anguish in that moment because he believes the net's going to bulge in that game. That's 1-1. It would have been 1-1, yeah. Um, and he knows what the press will be. But it wasn't. That was pretty dramatic. That was actually the most dramatic moment of the game for me. That was hugely dramatic. But I thought Germany were poor. I thought Kroos's passing was... I don't know. The, the lack of invention, Andrew, was, was stunning considering you saw Havertz dropping deep and I thought, mm, that's interesting. Is he going to try and do, you know, be the creative force, take the ball off cross and, and do things from a deeper position? Kind of. Didn't happen. Just poor. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned only four chances created for Germany. Only 92 touches in the attacking third. Uh, uh, there, what was the stat with it? It's the first time in the last 30 games at the Euros they finished with under 100 touches in the attacking third. And that was a nil-nil draw in, uh, against Italy at Euro 96. So England held them in check. And, you know, we've talked about the kind of survive and advance mentality. Yeah. And um, and, and, and I, I just can't criticize Southgate for what he's doing when it's getting results, even though it's, it's, not, it's not the most fun to watch. And I think, 
you know, there is a tendency in us to to look at Jaden Sancho in particular was a name that popped up right before the game. It's it feels weird that he can't really break through. But, but it, is it weird? Well, you're right. The results are what they are. And, and now you could look at certain games and you know, like what, what was the game where he did come on? Was it Scotland? I maybe I'm it, to remember now. I can't remember either. Yeah. But um. But, but but you can say there's a flexibility in Southgate in the sense that Saka had a game against the Czech Republic and he's he was he, he said I'm going to start him and he was vindicated in that decision. Uh, bringing Grealish on, I think, was it was the, there was something for everyone. Those people who say Southgate's getting it right 100% with this kind of handbrake on conservative approach is winning games. Correct. And there's also something for, well, Grealish can change games. Well, he brought him on. I know. So everyone is kind of sated from this from this performance. It's true. Um, you know, it almost, unfortunately, we can never really know the answer to the question of whether or not this may be Jack Grealish's best role for this team. Right now it is. Right. But I'm saying, but, but the Grealish lovers will say, well, he could be doing this from minute one. But the others can say, well, maybe he's good, like you said, when Germany was sufficiently softened. Was that how you put it? Um, you know, maybe he's the right guy to bring that kind of dynamic approach and draw fouls against tired legs of an opposition. I mean, because he, he had an assist today. He was part of the buildup in the first goal, too. Didn't technically, I guess maybe it was a hockey assist um, where he made the pass for the pass. Right. And even, too, like, look at, you know, the using wingbacks, three in the back, and then. Shaw and Trippier in the midfield. I mean, Luke Shaw had an assist today. You know, Kieran Trippier, like, I almost feel like for what he can give you on his free kicks, almost has to be out there. Right. Because uh, the, they didn't convert on them, but they're all lethal. They all look threatening and dangerous. No, I agree. So, I don't know. I think I'm going to tone, not that I have been anti-Southgate at all. No, but in you. Fact, but, but can I bring you back to something you did say that's prescient now? You said, JJ, I don't think this guy knows his best eleven. Uh, in coming into this tournament, and you said midway through the group, "Hey, don't expect us to know right now what his best eleven will be. You'll see changes as this team goes forward." I think By the it, way, that that may still be true. Mason Mount is going to come back, I, Hel- totally I, healthy and I, fine. I, I I believe the eleven that started is England's eleven now. That is England's eleven, barring injury. Everyone else will have to make a, an impact from from coming off the uh, coming off the bench. Well, I'll say this about England and Southgate specifically moving forward, um, and we will talk about the quarterfinal picture at large, but by now all of you listening to this know that England are going to be playing Ukraine in the quarterfinals, and you also know that the Netherlands, who was probably the most threatening opposition in that half of the bracket, they're out, courtesy of the Czech Republic. JJ, the pressure on that team and that man in particular, we are now in finals or bust mode. He will be fired, I believe, if he does not get this team to the finals. There will be no excuses. I think a lot of England fans at World Cup 18 were willing to tolerate the loss to Croatia, A, because Croatia was very good. There was no question about that. And B, because the ride for England all the way to the semifinals was a lot of fun. Right. But like once you take a step back, you could say England, that was a, a very good England team. And you had Croatia in a semifinal. Again, very good, but it wasn't France, it wasn't Spain, it wasn't Germany, it wasn't Italy. It wasn't one of, you know, no offense to them, it wasn't one of the big guns. I understand you. And so now we're kind of looking at a road that is similarly paved for England. And if they don't do it again, the scrutiny, I mean, whatever scrutiny you've heard so far of Southgate, triple it. Ten times, twenty times. This, I mean, this is not a, a transition tournament. No. 
Especially now, you can't look at those other teams that are in that side of the bracket and not think that it's England's to lose. In fact, uh, I just saw, literally just saw, uh, William Hill's updated um, tournament favorites. Oh, It's England. They are now number one at, I I believe, I have the exact number here. Uh, Let's see. England are your favorite at plus 210, followed by Spain at plus 300, then Italy, then Belgium, then Denmark, then the Czech Republic. Uh, and Switzerland are both at plus 2,500, and then Ukraine rounded out. But England are your tournament favorites. And it's not necessarily because they're the best team left, but it's because everyone can see the road that they have to the final is by far the clearest. They've got to do it. It's now or never. Can, can, can you hear that? Can, can, you, can you hear? We're not creative enough. We're not positive enough. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming. We'll go on. You know, I'm getting bad results, getting bad results. <laughs> you can hear it. You can. And you're going to hear it. It doesn't hurt, by the way, that they're playing at Wembley. Well, they're away in Rome for the next game. But if they survive that, the semi and the final, yeah. correct? So they're... The semi-final will be the tougher, we expect it to be the tougher of the next two potential games coming up for them because, I, I, no disrespect, I don't see Ukraine stopping them at this point. But Ukraine and Rome, you, you don't know. I mean, you're right. Like At this point, we would be utter fools to assume anything with yeah. what we saw Switzerland do, with what Croatia did to Spain, with what Austria did to Italy, even in losing efforts. Like, this tournament has proven to be, if nothing else, unpredictable. And England are, are not blitzing anyone. No, but I think England will be suitably turgid and will still roll Ukraine. I say roll, that, that, that's too emphatic. They'll beat Ukraine, but they'll do it in a very Gareth manner. So we're looking at like what happened today. Maybe they they kind of grab one before half. Right, correct. And they um, hang on to that. Nothing's really happening. Change off the bench and a late goal deflected in off someone, and uh, on they go. And it won't matter. It will not matter. Harry Kane finally scoring at the Euro. Uh, it was also his first goal in a major tournament in open play since Panama in the group stage at the last World Cup. His three goals between that one and this one were all penalties. He needed it, and he took yeah, it very well. He really did. The ball, the cross was just curling slightly behind him, and he snapped his head back and put it into the net in a kind of a trademark Kane fashion. The miss before half time. I say the miss. I, I've watched that again, and the first touch is really good because it takes Neuer out of the game. Now, it's brilliant awareness for Mats Hummels to get back and, and, and realise what's going on. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. But Kane just looked lethargic in reacting to his to his own touch. Uh, I guess you're right. The touch, I, by the way, if the t- I, I'm not going to be that... I mean, and you'll say, oh, it's because it's Kane. It's really not. I will credit defending sometimes over attacking. I thought that that was a, that was a brilliant play from Mats Hummels to react. I, I, th- I think so too. I think the touch, though, needed to be heavy to take Neuer out but it was too heavy for him to react quickly to get to it. So, yeah. Um, Also, I I wanted to say, too, I can't help but just be very, I don't know, there's something very endearing to me and likable to me about Raheem Sterling. And I kind of love that he entered this tournament on the back of a down year by his standards at Manchester City. Um, A lot of criticism to his inclusion as being essentially now like 
you see what Garrett Southgate's lineups have been. Some guys have been fluctuated in and out. Not him. I mean, he is essentially a lock to start for this team. Some English fans have not loved that, and I enjoy seeing him score three of their four goals in this tournament. And you talk about pre-tournament. During the tournament, even after scoring the winner against Croatia, he's asked in the mix zone afterwards by a BBC journalist, did this justify your position? Sorry, justify your selection. And he, yeah, he, he was bristled puzzled at. by the question. Yeah, he was yeah. upset by the question. Um, and I, you know, I really, it was very human for me. You know, I, I don't want England to win. I'm not interested in England winning. It, it hurts me. I can't take, I can't take it's coming home. You know, I, I, I think you love it as a song. You just don't like what it stands for. I think, yeah, but I also don't like the fact that people think it's the best England World Cup song. Or it's so good. New Order, I know, World in Motion is a better song. You talk song. about that all the time. But, um, but just, I, I just saw the headlines for him with that, uh, where he was caught in possession for that German break that almost Muller should have scored on. And I, in my stomach, I thought, I felt a little sick for him. Because you know what will happen. On a good day, even when he's performing well, you know what the English media would do to him. A, a certain section of the English media would do to him. So I was happy for him that, in a way, but also dismayed that that didn't go in. We should, by the way, do, I guess, a quick obit for Germany here as their tournament ends. Yeah. Uh, and with it, an era. Yes, with it, an era. Um, Sammy Kadira spoke about how he knows Hansi Flick and he's excited about Hansi Flick coming in. I think I think this is a manager that stayed on, uh, Yogi Love stayed on two tournaments too long. Um. I think he made mistakes. He's sidelining crucial players for three years. And the manner in which he did it as well. He literally went to the Bayern Munich training centre and when Mats Hummels was there and Muller was there and told him, that's it, you you know, and Boateng, and that's it, you don't play for us anymore. That was it. And he made mistakes I thought he should have gone after the 6-0. Like the 6-0 in the Nations League, should that not have been it? Come on, that's it. Cut ties. Maybe it should have been the defeat to Korea, not getting out of the group in the 2018 World Cup. But it felt like this was dragging on too long. And they look bereft of ideas, Andrew, and they shouldn't be. They've got too many good players to be that short of, of ways of breaking teams down and trying to score. And we thought that they... I think I was vindicated in what I said. No, I was vindicated in agreeing with Raphael Honigstein about the Portuguese game. Like, it was Portugal's deficiencies in, in the wing-back areas that Germany thrived upon rather than Germany putting in this amazing, brilliant, brilliant performance. Well, in the end, he walks away as one of Germany's most successful managers, won a World Cup, 123 wins, um, 34 losses, 40 draws. I think the latter part of it, though, I mean, this is the first yeah, time. This it, is the first time they've not at least got to the semi-final of the European Championship. That's and when you and I, I guess the thing is when you look at their World Cup winning team, it felt. I mean, that was a, a young team, uh, and it felt like there were more triumphs to come, and they were still good after that. Yes, yeah, that, that is a good point. It, it it's fallen short, hasn't yeah, it? Really, it, I guess you could say that. I mean, look, they have. I'm trying to go back in my mind now to each. Yours in 2016, so, so they, I expected better from them, and they fell, they fell short. In the semifinal, though. I, I know, but... It's, it's 
<laughs> falling short is round of 16. I'll even give you quarters. He lost to France in the semifinals. Okay, that was good then. 2018 was not. 2018 no, was... No, 2018, absolutely. Unmitigated disaster. Correct. No way around that. And then you look at everything in between that and coming up to these times now, and yeah, I, I, I feel it was a tournament or two too, too long for this regime. Uh, let's see. We continue now, JJ, to... I mean, I guess I'd have to call it the hold my beer match of the tournament because Spain-Croatia had happened earlier in the day. It was sensational. Everybody was kind of just gathering themselves, ready to kind of settle in for France and Switzerland, thinking, okay, well, there's just whatever I'm about to see, it might be good, but it can't be better than what I just witnessed. And France-Switzerland said, hold my beer and watch this. People were just processing what they had seen. (laughs) And I think most people probably didn't really lock in or get clued into this game until like maybe 20 minutes in. And I know the Swiss were up at that point, but honestly, what what an absolute roller coaster of a game! So can we start from? How do we, you want to do this? Can we move back to front? Because I think what what's I mean, look, the, we'll start with this. This is the Swiss call of the ultimate moment of this match: the Mbappe penalty miss. Mbappe gegen Sommer. Mbappe. Uh, one of the great things about tournaments is getting to hear things like that. Yeah. And also, one of the sad inflections on these moments of absolute just exultation is the uh, check, check, wait, check. We're good. We're good. Even Sommer stopped his celebration. Oh, yeah. oh I was confused at first. I was watching with no volume. Yeah. So looking at his reaction. I was almost tricked into thinking, oh, is this not going to count? Was he off the line? But he, no, they, they ru- didn't even make it to VAR. They ruled instantaneously. No, you're good. Amazing. U- utterly amazing. And it was Kylian Mbappe. As if, as if to make it even better for the Swiss, probably France's jewel in the crown. Yep. He's the guy that, that the penalty save is made from. And it was a good penalty save. It wasn't a good penalty. But that's a save that has to be made, and he made it. It was a good save. It certainly was. Any penalty save is a good save. I mean, I look at Mbappe, and I just think, you know, if I were going to console him in some way, because he looked like he needed it afterwards. Hey, you got lots of money. Well, yeah, I could say that. You're a very good player, and you'll probably put this behind you. He did win a World Cup, too. Um, That, too. I mean, look, it's a guy at his age that has not experienced this yet. But I would tell him... Char- that, character building? Well, it can be. Um, but it's also... you know, like Hugo Lloris was talking after the game. I don't have the exact quote in front of me. But he, he, he essentially said something to the effect of, you know, this is... this What happened today is part of the reason that we love this sport. I mean, this, this kind of comes with the territory. You want to be a part of the biggest games, and somebody has to lose them. And, you know, you, you want to be in the spotlight, and sometimes your number gets called and it doesn't go your way, and that's what happened to him. Look, John Terry is a legend of this game. He missed a penalty to decide a Champions League final against Manchester United because he slipped and fell. Right. You know, Lionel Messi is the greatest player we've ever seen. Missed a penalty at Copa America 2016 against Chile in the final. Mm-hmm. Leo Messi. So, like, it's not an indictment of him as a player. Now, Mbappe... Ah, we, who's we, saying that, though? No one, but we can talk about other things. He has not had a very... He did not have a good tournament. Poor. And this was a, a sad cherry on top to him not having a bad tournament. So I think people can use this uh, however they want to build their narrative that, you know, 
you know, I'm not even going to say something as ridiculous. Oh, maybe he's not the player we thought. He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. And the evidence is there to suggest that in every Champions League match we've ever seen him take part in at the last World Cup, he's an absolutely brilliant player. And, okay, is this a, a, a black mark on his record and his resume up to this point? Yeah, I think even he would tell you this is not me at my best, but doesn't change the way I view him, not for a second. Yeah, he didn't seem right. When, when Pogba played him in, was it in extra time? Again, all these things happened. So much happened yesterday, my timeline's askew. But now, Pogba played in a, a beautiful pass to Mbappe. And he fell over and, his feet. Well, and he shanked it horribly wide and then had the the exaggerated limp to the point of me oh. trying to decide, okay, is that limp because he's got a real cramp or is that a... On, I'm on national television. I'm not playing well. I just missed horribly. Let me limp. Yeah, I, I thought he was... Something must be wrong with me. The people must think something was wrong with me physically. Yeah. I thought he was going to take it on his right, and then he tries to take it on his left, and Try it just... to sneak it in near post. Yeah, and... horrific. Yeah. Yeah, so it was that kind of tournament for him. I mean, the moment of drama, though, in that penalty shootout. Jeez. <laughs> How good were some of those penalties as well? Yeah, they were all... Until that one, they were all really well taken. Are penalties getting better? I'd need to see some stats. I mean, this is the same game where the the match turned on a average penalty, uh, that Dreadful Hugo, that, penalty that Hugo Lloris saved. I texted you. It's amazing. Like we talk about Lloris and some of some of his flaws and shortcomings that have developed over his career. But you know, last year the penalty save against Arsenal, Champions League quarterfinal penalty save against Man City. Um, uh, he he's he is good at that. Yeah. I felt in, in big moments specifically. Yeah, I felt um, I felt Rodriguez kind of telegraphed it a bit. Maybe I'll defer to you. You would know more about that. I, he, he didn't look confident going up, going up for this, and his body shape suggested exactly where he he was going to hit it. But still, again, the keeper's got to get that right, and um, unbelievable. One of my favorite tweets coming out of this game, Andrew, was this um, from Duncan Alexander, typically. If you start, Jenny was a friend of mine. As the Swiss penalty is taken, it ends as Benzema heads in his second. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Which is the killer's best song outside of the mat. It's their best song. You think so? Comfortably, yeah. It's got that whole kind of, it's got that bass. It's got that amazing kind of riff going on through it. and it's. it's Boy, it's, I know it's so cliche, but Mr. Brightside is I, just phenomenal. Yeah, but it's been done to death. Jenny, See, I, I, I forgot who I'm dealing with here. If more than seven people like a thing, then JJ can no longer like it. No, it must be taken from me. <laughs> Snatched away from me. But, um, but that, I mean, if we're going in reverse order, surely we should talk about that. Because the first 45 minutes, okay... You know the Swiss had gone ahead, but it was trundling along. It, it was it, it was about to explode in the second half. Is really you know what happened, and and that three minute or four minute spell. I guess it's Jenny was a friend of mine. Is in the three three fifty minute uh, mark. I guess everything just happened. Incredible. Yeah. Can we talk about the first half just quickly? Because Didier Deschamps changed things, and he decided to go three at the back. Mm-hmm. Now I read a tweet from Get. Uh, French football a reputable Twitter and they talked about how a few days before the game there had been some kind of consultation between the players and the manager about going three at the back and I thought oh 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 god and then we heard that Deschamps himself was genuinely concerned about combinations up the field and concerned about the way the team had played and that he wanted to do something to change that and one of the unsung heroes 
ah, he's probably a sung hero of the Swiss team is Zuber, who I thought had, up until he was taken off, had a magnificent game, mm-hmm. like a really superb game. And his ability to get in that gap behind Pavar and beside Varane was key to the first goal, but it caused the French, it just threw the French off completely. And then Deschamps just goes back and in the second half just kind of, go, kind of goes, we're going 4-4-2. We took Langley right on out of there. Bad was he. <laughs> he ends up facing the wrong way on Seferovic's goal. Yeah. Varane wasn't that good either and Kimpembe was just just like useless. You know, I, I know Deschamps is going to take a lot of flack, but there were per, some performances in this French team that were, were not very good. Yeah, I think the ones you mentioned, certainly. We talked about Mbappe. I mean, those are important ones. You're, um, you're about but, to... You're but about, you're but about, then there were a couple you're, transcendent. You're about to dip your toe again, aren't you? Well, Paul Pogba just had a... Since, uh, the, the one thing... Apologies to Switzerland fans that might be listening to this. No, I got we, some we, good we, Swiss... We will, con- we will praise your team, I promise. I got some very, like, very good Swiss content coming. Don't but, you worry. But I'm almost sad that we can no longer watch Pogba and Benzema for how good these two have been had been in this tournament. I absolutely agree with you. The touch for the first Benzema goal. What are we talking here? Bergkamp against Newcastle? The one where the ball's behind him and he just kind of drags it round and spins? I think As it, the keeper is charging at I him. I think it's better than that. Yeah. I think it's better than that. He has no right with his trailing leg to get that ball. And, ho- and make it hop back into his path uh-huh. with his trailing leg. Like, and, then, and then finish. And then finish with, like, as it's skipping up down off the turf, like, clips it. It was unbelievable. I had my hands on my head. And you're so right. The fact I don't get to see this guy again is... But that's almost... A, that, that, that moment is so beautiful, it will stay with me. No, no, no. There are just some finishes, some goals that, that are etched in your memory because of the joy they gave you. And I... I don't particularly like Kareem Benzema. I'm not French. I actually was kind of rooting for chaos. I wanted France to be beaten in this game. Just for the crack, for the sheer hell of it. But that moment was absolutely just pleasure. Uh, Pleasure. Mm -hmm. There's no other way. It's like opening... It's it's actually like nothing. I was going to say it's like drinking a fine... That's so cliched. There's nothing like that when you see some kind of sporting magnificence. Like that. Unbelievable. Another moment that, oh my God, it gave me feelings that I I don't think I've ever felt. Pogba, this pass he did in, in extra time, down the left-hand side, where he slice volleys it, is the only way to describe it. He puts topspin on it in the most nonchalant fashion. Just unbelievable. Wonderful. Now, his, his goal to... Ah, oh. should be mentioned. Now, first of all, that's too much space to give him. Way too much space. But I'm not going to do a defensive analysis on that. He just... It's the goal he almost scored earlier in this tournament. Right. Except he was denied by Patricio, was yeah. it? Bends it into the... You watch the... There's a great picture online. And if you look at it, there's no way the keeper can get it. It's the postage stamp. It's right there. If he had ran over with his hands and placed it where he wanted it. Well, you can tell oh. because like, when you had the camera angle from those cameras that are in the corners of the net, it smashed the camera. Like, right. It clearly hit the exact spot that it needed to hit. 
he had such a good tournament. It, 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 like I said, for a neutral, however, that doesn't have Swiss ties. It's it. I'm sad to not be able to watch this guy in that form. It's amazing though. You can't get out of this game without having the great, great Paul Pogba debate because what happens for the Swiss equalizer? He coughs the ball up in a place he just can't do it. The Swiss break. The defending is pathetic after that, but it's it's a great goal. It's a dramatic moment. It's partially Paul Pogba's fault. And I was involved with my friends back home, Manchester United supporters. One of them was like, he does it too often. This is Manchester United Pogba. And another one who was like, would you ever F off? Just F out of here. He's put in an amazing performance. Okay, he's got caught out on that. But otherwise, you've got to appreciate the performance. Now, mm-hmm. appreciating performances is what the keep player ratings are for. Only 11 players in the history of L'Equipe magazine in France, have gotten 10 out of 10. Pogba, yesterday, got a 6. Really? That seems harsh. But yeah. giving up the goal definitely knocked, what, 3? I guess. Karim Benzema, in a losing effort, what did you think he got? Uh, 8. 8, correct. Kylian Mbappe, 4. Mm-hmm. Antoine Griezmann, five. N'Golo Kante, who did have not a great game. Yeah, he was kind of anonymous. Five. Clement Longley, Uh two. Benjamin Pavard, two. Rafa Varane, three. Kimpembe, two. Lloris, seven. A couple, you mentioned Pavard. Uh, He did have a near miss in extra time. Uh, and then also in what uh, one of the dramatic moments of the tournament so far, Kingsley Coleman hitting the crossbar in the last seconds of extra time before penalties. Uh, I mean, this this game was it was full of them. It was full of unbelievable moments. Um, but I, I know you wanted to talk about the Swiss, of course, as well. And I, as a transition point into that from France to Switzerland, um, Jan Sommer, the hero of this match for Switzerland who made the penalty save, he had a really interesting comment about France after the game. Okay. Almost pouring some salt in a gaping French wound. He said, we noticed that the French had a phase after the two goals to put them 3-1 up where they were slightly arrogant and thought they had won and we took advantage of it. Oh. That's... Got him. Yeah. I mean, to see Pogba's celebration after his goal... Mm. I mean, were you a 30 Rock viewer? You I was not. I did, I did not get into it. All right. Because it reminded me, early in the show, there's an episode where Tracy Jordan, Tracy Morgan's character, is... Uh, he's like hopped up on some kind of medication. He's out of his mind, and he's going on Conan O'Brien's show. And when he comes out for the intro, his like dance onto the the set, it lasts like eight minutes. Like there's one part where Conan's like, and eh, he's done. <laughs> nope, he's up again. He's still going. Like that was Pogba's celebration. I was like, is this is this ever gonna end? Let's talk Swiss. Yeah. Uh, Squawker Football tweeted this: most passes, most forward passes, most passes into opposition half. Most passes in the final third, most successful final third passes, most successful long passes, most successful through balls. UEFA star of the match, Granite Xhaka. Now, that was a pretty great performance from a guy who, if you were picking two figures from recent Arsenal, two of the most maligned figures from recent okay. Arsenal, so I'm talking the last five, six years. So him... Him. And then it would be a battle between, I guess, Ozil. Correct. Uh, I would throw Mustafi and David Luiz into the mix as well. That's that's a, 
quite a bunch of characters <laughs> right there. And re- remember how it went right at the end for Wenger, where basically Arsenal fans were asking, why have we signed Granite Xhaka? What does he do? And I remember I went to his defence on this podcast to talk about a statistic called packing, which was basically trying to measure passing and, and how a player can beat or take so many players of the opposition out of the game with either a dribble or a pass. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that Jacka was signed was because of his packing statistics. So I went back to FB Ref just to check on him over the last 365 days against the players in a similar position in the top five positions, in the top five leagues in Europe. Mm-hmm. Passes, no, these are the metrics. Passes attempted, he's in the 91 percentile. Pass completion in the 89 percentile. Progressive passes in the 93 percentile. Progressive carries, again, another crucial thing for packing, in the 80, per, 80 percentile. Obviously, his dribbles completed and, and uh, touches, etc. Those fall off a little bit. Pressures, stuff like that. Clearances, 75 percentile. And aerials won in the 75 percentile. This is a player that is... A very good player. And you're saying... Because... I, I mean, you've you've come armed with stats. I'll give you credit. I, I am firing stats at you, but wasn't... We've watched him play yeah. for years, JJ, and he has not But maybe done he's not this. the problem. Maybe there's other issues here. Okay, uh, fine. I'll accept that, and I would think any Arsenal fan would accept that as well. No one is saying that Granit Xhaka is the reason that Arsenal aren't succeeding um he's not the problem but he also doesn't for them at least appear to be part of the solution either. no I, I i i agree i agree i'm just saying that uh when there's such a, a visceral like kind of reaction to a player and then he puts in a performance like that against you can say international football is not the highest level of football all right but that french team is probably one of the highest levels of football yeah and he puts in a performance of that quality uh, in midfield, I thought that was exception. I, I should also say, though, that I thought uh, Mbua, when he came on, was very, very good. Zuber as well. Um, and Seferovic, a brilliant performance. And they had performances off the bench as well. Uh, this was a really good Swiss performance. Now, we people gave us credit. What did we say last week? There was a few people tweeted at us. Well, you said this could be the banana skin. That, I, that we liked them. Yeah, and... Um I think I can't remember to go back to go back even further, uh, completely unrelated. Like remember, the U.S. played Switzerland in what was a like for us. Like we weren't thinking Euros at the time. This was a U.S. friendly against a good European team. Right for Switzerland, it was a it was a tune up match for the Euros, and I remember we you know there was the typical okay the U.S. just lost. Let's fire everyone involved with this American coaching staff. And I remember you and I kind of saying, like, hang on, everyone. Like, that Switzerland team is good. Like, they're about to go to the Euros and, and potentially be a problem for someone. Like, yeah. So I think that there, Amer- and we weren't the only ones. There were a lot of American fans who were kind of saying, okay, like, that's a good Switzerland team out there. I think American fans here, JJ. We're a little more ahead of the curve here. my favorite South Park scenes. We were a little ahead of the curve on Switzerland. I think American fans saw this, and now we're sniffing our own farts. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Well, 
we're not the only one sniffing things and body parts. I was I was not going to mention it because it was today it's was too, the it's end too of disgusting. his. And he did it again though. <laughs> he, he ate a booger. Today, oh apparently. God! I wasn't going to mention it because I thought today was more somber. It's the end of his you know his time as Germany's manager. But go go on YouTube, everyone. Yeah. Or, or Twitter. I, I think the one thing we leveled at the Swiss as well, which we leveled at a few teams, was that we didn't know where the goals were going to come from. But uh, you know, Gavranovic. And Seferovic yesterday sorted that problem out, and uh, then they did the business and the penalties. Uh, and by the way, they, I mean they also nearly had like they had the one that was disallowed, or am I now confusing games? I think are you confusing games? <laughs> I can't remember. That means we have to move on to Spain and Croatia. All right, so we'll so we'll do that. Props to Switzerland who advance, and we'll now face Spain. Oh, one final thing on this game though. Uh-huh. Uh, it's as if the the narratives won't stop. Uh, I I. Saw this from Get Football News France, which I've been going to ever since France got knocked out. Adrian Rabio's mother clashed with the Pogba and Mbappe families last night Aye. from RMC Sport. Uh, the verbal battle appeared to occur principally between Veronica Rabio, the player's mother, and certain individuals close to him and the Pogba family. The two families exchanged words after the third goal for Switzerland in the stands. Veronique asked how Pogba could lose the ball like that in the lead-up to the Swiss equaliser. Mm. At the full-time whistle, Veronique Rabiot asked Kylian Mbappe's father to tell his son to tell his son off so that he would be less arrogant. See, she also took aim at certain journalists, journalists for the way they were sucking up to Mbappe. An aggressive exchange of words then occurred between Veronique and Mbappe's mother, as well as the PSG attacking the PSG attacker's father. For about 20 minutes, Adrian Rabiot's mother clashed with several families of players present in Bucharest on Monday evening. Other families witnessed the scene. They were shocked by Veronique Rabiot's attitude and the timing of her outburst right after the match. Kylian Mbappe's parents just witnessed the, the lowest moment, maybe of his life, up to that point. And then she turned around and said that to them. Oh, JJ, I... That's from RMC Sport. That is so crossing a line. Wow. That's that's I, not okay. I just, I'm sorry. I just imagine Veronique Grabio just like with like a glass of wine just going around you. She even know who I am. Right. Like this sounds like a woman who would thrive on like Real Housewives of Paris. Yeah, definitely. Oof. Oh man, yeah. that is awful. RMC reported it. I ain't the gossip here. Well, you kind of are, but that's okay. All right, we got we've got time for gossip on this show. Um, Spain, JJ, <laughs> have somehow morphed from the most frustrating, oh maybe least interesting team in this tournament to like this goal machine that can't stop scoring, that's conceding horror own goals. Uh, they they are fascinating. They've become a thrill a minute. Right. Over their last two games, but obviously this one more so as it being being in the knockout stage against a more game opponent. Wow, uh, blown away by the sudden turnaround. And, and the one thing I would say about it is I did hint at this a little bit after uh, their game against Slovakia where they put five past them. And I did mention that through their first two games of the group stage, as frustrating as they were and as much as it comfortably fit the narrative that Spain is all passing without that finishing product, they did have, after two games, the highest XG in this tournament. So you could look at that and say, okay, like it's not like they're completely feeble and unable to create anything. They are cre- they're actually creating a lot. 
It was just an inability to, to add that finishing touch. If they can somehow manage to do that, and look, we can make fun of Alvaro Morata and say that, oh, he's he's not top class. Or, you know, we, we can say that about some of the guys on this team, but come on. like These are great players that Spain has, and if they can just figure it out, that XG is going to translate into something dynamic, and it has translated into 10 goals in their last two matches, 5-5. Five and five. Uh, they've been fascinating. Uh, John Muller is an American spat, uh, stats guy and he is putting out some pretty good tweets. Uh, Spain, Germany, Denmark and sort of Italy have kept the game high like a dominant club side. France, England and Belgium haven't. So he's done a graph where teams play at the Euros. You can get it on John Space Muller on Twitter. Teams and opponents combine touches coloured by zone. Andrew, Spain plays the most in the opponent's third and the least in its own. That I mean, these are... These are valuable pieces of information. I don't think we can make fun of Spain anymore for the way they play. It's still effective. But I, I, I do think that they are. They're getting more from crosses. I feel like they are, at least when I watch them. Like the goal, the the goal to go two one up, was such a good goal. The Aspilicueta goal. So the, it's a clip ball from the back from Unai Simon. Right. It's controlled by Aspilicueta. Drives through the middle finds Pedri, he goes at the creation defence, he slides in Ferran Torres, whose perfect cross finds Azpilicueta, who nods home. That was so good. Mm -hmm. And yet, I still have questions about this team. (laughs) I really do. First of all, a lot of their good play, excellent though it was, came through some brutal creation defending. The third goal. What is going on there? Uh, Gavidal, the the 19-year-old left-back, he'll never forget that game. He will never forget it. Uh, he was wrong side for Aspilicueta's goal. He was completely isolated on his own for the, the third goal. Um, but Spain, even when they were 2-1 up, when they were 3-1 up, and then obviously with the conceding the two late goals, they have this brittle quality to the Andrew. You still saw Croatia get chances, somehow get in, and it was usually down Spain's right, down Croatia's left, down Spain's right. They, they seem to find through balls and gaps and things. Well, there there are certainly questions that, much like we did with France, and and by the way, with France, we're talking about guys like Varane. Yeah. Th- there are questions that can be asked about Spain's central defense. There's I think, no doubt about I it. Think when, you know, Eric Garcia is starting for Spain. I, I hate to say this, it feels so lazy, but like they're lucky they won because the Sergio Ramos questions would be asked in in full voice. Even though I totally understand why, I still think he should have brought him because he left like two spaces open. But I wouldn't be starting him. He hasn't enough minutes in in the tank. Uh, but they're exciting. They are fun. There's there's something about Pedri when he gets on the ball. Yeah. There, even Sarabia who. Yeah. I don't understand. Like before the tournament started, I would have been like, "Look at the stats of Sarabia. Look at even the amount of times he starts for PSG. Not that often. And look at it compared to our friend Iago Aspas. I'm only bringing one of those guys. Although he could have brought both. They're an exciting team. Morata's goal. I loved it. One of my favorite. I mean, I texted you right afterwards. Uh, the first touch. Yeah. Uh, to just like play it, you know. One foot to the other. What was it? Left foot, right foot, or right foot, left foot? I'm trying to remember. Right foot, left foot. And then, like, for it to sit up, and then for him to just finish, smash. Uh, great goal. And considering the abuse his family has been taking from from people, because you know he's become this hate figure. He's a he is a really good player, and I sometimes he's one of these guys that I sometimes I think now he has he's tied with 
Fernando Torres for most European Championship goals for Spain. I mean, it's incredible. Good player, man. I have one more point to make though on Spain in general, and I've forgotten it now. Oh, Neda Manua said it today on ESPN on the broadcast. You do not want any part of them. As flawed as they may be, as problematic as they may be defensively, as imperfect as they are in attack, and all the caveats, you don't want to meet them. No. No, certainly not. Any team that has scored 10 goals over the last two games feels like a team that is in good form, I would say. Now, they did have uh, one of the most horrifying moments of this tournament with an own goal that it shoots up the charts of worst own goals that we've seen. All right, it's still not worse than Dubravka's. We're talking about Unai's... From this, from this very same tournament. Yes, from the same tournament. Against Spain. Against Spain. It's not as bad as Dubravka's. <laughs> because I I think we can... I think it is. Oh, I feel like you've Andrew. seen goalkeepers punch a ball into their net more than you've seen... And you're a prisoner a, of a, the moment, aren't you? A prisoner of the moment. Dubravka's happened a second ago. This was half a second ago. All right. <laughs> Uh, a back pass from what fifty-five yards away, right? But but that he, can't wind up in your own net. And there was people trying to say, well, maybe because Unai Seaman in the first half was in the goal that had the 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 only shards of, of our panel of real sunlight coming in at the. To be honest with you, remarkably amazing Parking Stadium. Love that place, yeah. Uh, but he wasn't even in the sunlight. You know, no, it was. It was horrifying. He was just thinking one move ahead. That that he yeah. was thinking he had it controlled. Yeah, took his foot, off, his eye off the ball, and allowed. What what what? I, I think it's it's a crime against humanity that that own goal, I believe, is, was attributed to Pedri. <laughs> yes, like that's not right. <laughs> that's not right. It's down. It's down everywhere as Pedri's own goal. <laughs> I mean, Unai Simon. Unai, oh, he owes Pedri a, a meal, something. But but then again, look at the save, the one-handed save he made in extra time. That's the thing I was going to mention is that, like, you've now, like, we talked before about Mbappe. His family sat there and witnessed the worst moment, maybe, of his life, certainly of his professional life. Well, the same is true of Unai Simon. In, in, the, in a knockout stage match, uh, he allowed that to happen. And a lot of guys could have, like, Mbappe's happened and it's over. There is no, like, like, he doesn't have to continue playing knowing I just missed that penalty. Unai Simon then had to play. How many more minutes that happened in the in the twentieth minute? <laughs> he then had to play the the other seventy of regular time, yeah. and then into minutes, and then into extra time with that kind of on his conscience. And he he did not let down. Yeah, he did let in other goals. I wouldn't say that any of them were egregious. And he made one of the saves of the tournament. So props to him because he he could have allowed. Look, the own goal is going to wind up being talked about for years certainly when we talk about great own goals but one of the reasons Spain are advancing in this tournament is because of the save that he made an extra time so he 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 had the power to change what his legacy was going to be coming out of that game and he did that and so I give him I give him full respect for not hanging his head and for continuing to play that game as best as he could and he did a great job you were talking end of an era that's probably what we're talking about with Croatia now too well, I wonder if Modric has a chance at the next World Cup. Remember, it's twenty. Even though we want to it's call next this, year. we want to call this the twenty twenty Euros. It's not. It's twenty twenty one. There's a World Cup in one year. Luka Modric just signed a new contract with Real Madrid. If Real Madrid thinks enough of Luka Modric, you damn well better be sure that Croatia does too. Right. So I, I think we'll see him. Assuming Croatia qualify, uh, I'd be stunned if we didn't see Modric, unless he takes himself out of the running and says, "I'm done." 
I'm going to focus on club football now. That's where I get my, my bread is buttered or whatever. But I, that would surprise me. I think this means you can see what this, uh, which game was it after when Modric, when they qualified out of the group stage for the knockout stage um, and his hug with the manager, like you could just see that this means so much to that guy. Yeah. So I think we'll see him, assuming Croatia qualify, we'll, I'd, I'd be stunned if we didn't see him at the and World And they Cup. still have enough players the right side of, of 30, Pasilic, Orsic. Yeah, I mean, it look, look it, they scored three goals, but it, it certainly hurt them. I would say that they didn't have Ivan Perisic for this. I mean, that's that's a brutal that's blow. One, that's one thing that really hasn't been talked about enough. He got what, COVIDed out of this yeah. one. You know, he's been immense for them in this tournament. And he scored spectacular goals, the um, the goal against the Czechs as well, which was a crucial goal in the, in 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 the context of the group that they were in. Yeah, I mean, look, him and Modric are probably the first two names on the team sheet for the for this era of of Croatian football. So that was that was brutal. What a game! <laughs> can, can we talk briefly about what did you think of the sideline attire of Luis Enrique? Because I thought I, he, lo- he looked like an extra in the Central Perk on an episode of Friends. Didn't he a bit? Or I well, thought... He could have been Chandler Bing's brother. I thought he was getting off work early to go see Duran Duran. <laughs> or like right out of like a Levi's or a Wrangler commercial. Like he could be in that muddy field playing football with Brett Favre. In a white shirt? No, well he'd have uh, to change... On. You're right. Come he'd on. Have, he'd to have to change shirt, the shirt. But the pants it. could stay. Yeah. Or he's turning up at Don Johnson's house just to, to, <laughs> to pick him up to go partying. Uh, have you ever seen a manager in jeans in a major tournament? Not that, not that shade of jeans. That was the kind of the, the is that stonewashed? Is that what they call it? I it's, mean, the, it's lighter than that. I, I'm sure we've seen darker, a darker jean. Hmm. Um, I can't think of one. Right. I, it's one of the things I, I secretly enjoy about soccer is like there's not uniformity in manager attire. I like that. Like we get everything. Yeah. Except Robert Page, who makes no effort. Wales. Robert, no. None whatsoever. Turning up. What they gave me in my kit bag is what I'm wearing. He's all business. Oh, <sighs> This is... There's more to come. If we wanted it to be seven hours, this podcast could be. It could be. I mean, all of these games unto themselves could have probably just been standalone emergency podcasts. I, a lot of people wanted that, but I told them that you were against it. Oh really? You're the bad guy in this one. You know, I wanted I'll, to pot, I'll play that role. I wanted to pot immediately last night, but I realized there was there was things. Well, I mean, England and Germany we're going to yeah. play at noon today. Yeah, there was more things uh, to come. There are, and there's a lot more to come on this podcast. Let's go ahead. We'll take a break. On the other side, Portugal and Belgium was like the felt like the biggest game of this round. It feels like it was a year ago. Yeah, like that game feels meaningless now. That was that was classic old school tournament drudgery. Survive in advance. That we'll, was. We'll get to that and some others uh, when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Ukraine. You know what the Ukraine is? It's a sitting duck. On the ball here, finds Forsberg, gives it a go, takes a deflection, and it's in! The Ukraine is weak. It's feeble. Oh, the man with the magic foot for Sweden, and we're level at one! I come from Ukraine. You're not say Ukraine weak. Yeah, well, we're playing a game here, pal. Ukraine has came to you! How about I take your little bonus? Zinchenko whips the small and there it is! Dovbik! And the hero stands tall for Ukraine! Oh, back now on Caught Offside. Uh, Kramer and Newman playing a game of Risk. 
on the New York subway. <laughs> it's such a great scene. The, and, and the Ukraine is not weak. No, 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 no. JJ, I read a stat today. Go ahead. Maybe our listeners, they are amazing. They know a lot. Maybe they will find one later. But I read a stat today that said it was the latest winning goal ever scored at a men's Euro or World Cup. Wow. Yeah. That sounds about right. Incredible. What a moment. Incredible. The Ukraine go through 2-1 over Sweden. Sweden, that is... I mean, look, there's a lot of brutal ways to lose. If that had gone on to penalties, it would have been a brutal way to lose, certainly. But I guess because you know guys are exhausted, you yeah. can see it. In all these games you can, that are going to extra time, you can see how exhausted these guys are. But then they, they, they're dealt the blow of the red card, so now they're stretched even more thin. They've got to buckle down defensively that much harder, and you know they're just desperate to get to penalties. The finish line is in sight. They can almost touch it. And then the defense lets down just way too big of a gap for that free header. It's still a good finish. Um, it's a superb ball in. The ball is perfect. The placement, the run was perfect. The, the gap was there defensively. Sweden were so close to getting to penalties and giving themselves that chance, and they just couldn't quite make it. I think Danielson's red card meant that anything going forward was kind of gone. And... If you th- if you look at Emil Forsberg's game, who acquainted himself with the crossbar and the woodwork <laughs> at Hamden Park on a couple of occasions, I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was really good, but he was the main source of the threat. And then everything, all the energies kind of went into defending. And yeah, it, they just couldn't hang on. They couldn't hold out. By the way, for, for those who were asking, I don't think Danielson is trying to, um, trying to hurt Besiedon. He's not. He's follow- How much does that matter? It doesn't, is okay. the point. Right. And people were going, well, he didn't mean it. There's no intent. It's not. It comes under the serious foul play law. That's that's what it is. And he finishes high on the guy's knee, and I don't know the damage that's been done yet to the Ukrainian player, but it, it looked bad, yeah. and his foot was planted. So, folks, nobody's calling Danielson a bad guy. What happened, happened, and it was definitely unfortunate. But the referee had no choice, and definitely in the world of VAR, he had no choice. And it's not the referee's job to go around deciding whether this guy meant to do him, no. to use the parallels. Um, but Sweden can count themselves unlucky, I think. Uh, one, They needed to take one of those chances that where Forsberg cut in and just rattled the crossbar. I thought that was it. Um, and he was in his pomp, in the middle of the second half, he was really pulling the strings and I thought this was going to go Sweden's way. But no, it's the Ukraine that will go to Rome, of course, to play yeah. England. Yeah, and I mean, my God, if Andrei Shevchenko wasn't a national hero before this, I mean, now he's led this team into the quarterfinals of a major tournament. Uh, yeah. It's a cool story watching this second act in his career. You know, we've seen other great, we've seen it with Zidane, um, but it's it's you know for Shevchenko to to be doing this, leading this team, and he still looks the same. Like it looks like he could just like rip his suit off and probably just run out there and like help finish the game. If you were to pick a team of managers that could still kick a ball around, a five aside team, we'll say we won't do that. We'll say three aside. If you had to pick from, three players from this tournament, from this tournament, Luis okay. Enrique, yeah, looks like he could still do it. Paulo Sosa, the Polish manager, looked in, in oh. Mancini, Souza out, Mancini in, and then well, there's Shevchenko. Three, three aside, you said, right? There's so yeah. 
Yeah, but I need a sub. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. Is there any others? Do you, do you, so you don't think Gareth could do it? I think if Gareth... I think if Gareth didn't have the waistcoat in 2018 and if he didn't have the jacket in for this tournament, he would show the signs of weird body syndrome. <laughs> no, that's not fair. I think he has it. I think he's like you. I think he's afflicted. Well, he hides it very well. Hmm. He he must... I, I got to find out what what treatment he's using. Po- pockets of back fat. Stop. That is not... You're, you're wrong. I'm talking about you. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> well, you're not wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's give uh, let's give uh, another manager who looks like he could still play, but has been sacked today. We should probably talk about the Dutch, right? Let's pour one out to old Frank De Boer. Oof, Andrew um, had to go. Had to go, really. I think. Although I hear, here's one thing that I will say, um, he had to go. I'm conceding that. But the Dutch have now had seven managers since 2017, so at a certain point, <laughs> you do have to ask, okay. Is it always a manager problem? Now with Kuman, he it went well and he left for Barcelona. Right. Um, but seven managers in four years, it's not. Like, gr- it's th- not. It's th- not great. There has to be a certain level of personnel issues too. Now I thought this Dutch team was good, and they should be massively disappointed to lose this game. I would agree with that, and the newspapers reflected that. Talk about going after De Boer. Are you ready for this headline? This is from De Telegraph. Orange pays top price for the stupidity of De Boer, writes Valentin Driesen, and this was on Monday. Uh-huh. Orange has shown, the orangey, the oranges, has shown has thrown sand in the eyes of everything and everyone, including itself, for three weeks, meaning it's blinded itself to the facts. Except for a bunch of mediocre Czech footballers. And that is why the Dutch national team can watch the rest of the European Championship at home on television. Those Czechs grabbed from the FC Groningen level, exposed national coach Frank de Boer, his disastrous defensive 3-5-2 system, and his stars from Barcelona, Liverpool slash Paris Saint-Germain, Internazionale, Juventus, and Ajax. It's like pretty harsh stuff. Now, they're unfair to the Czechs. We'll get to the Czechs. They're unfair to the Czechs. Also, look, we've always said about de Boer, for whatever reason... He's an easy target. I don't know exactly why, but he was before. He was at Atlanta. Um, yes. But 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 the only thing that I'll say, I don't want to cross these newspapers because I've, I'm terrified of what they could do to me morally. Andrew Gundling <laughs> is the disgrace who doesn't know anything about Dutch football. I concede that. But the only thing I would say also about Frank DeBoer in this, so this is how we're going to play it? Like, this entire thing is on him. Okay, fine, but like Matthias Delict, I'm sorry, some of this venom has to be thrown his way. Right. It just has to. Well, he slipped. Okay, uh, it's an unspeakably bad red card to take. It just is. Yes. And like Frank DeBoer, sure, he's made mistakes. He's not a perfect manager by any stretch of the imagination, but like that happened in what, the 51st? It's a long time to have to then hold out with 10 men. Can I stop you there? Does a. Does a modern team necessarily have to be dead in the water like the Dutch were going down to 10 men? Not necessarily. No, I don't think so. Part of me thought... But I'm just saying, if we're assigning blame, we're we're missing something if we're just putting this all on De Boer. Okay. 
One of the big things that's come out of this for the Dutch has been the uh, Daniel Malin substitution. So right before the red card, he's the guy who orchestrated this mazy run where he goes round, pushes the ball past round one defender, goes after it, and then it's only just the Czech goalkeeper makes a brilliant save at his feet to stop him. It was from a the- horrifying moment for the Dutch to not score there. Right. And he substituted. <laughs> so this, and, and Quincy Promise comes on. Mm. That, that decision is being just destroyed in, in the Netherlands right now. Um, I just felt, if I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and go along your line about, well, when do the players take responsibility? I would say Patrick Van Aanholt, Van Aanholt is head honcho number one on my list of guys who needed to show discipline and needed to realise the situation they were in. The first goal, Andrew, it's a stupid foul out by the sideline, right on the edge of the box. Don't don't give a free kick away there. Stand up, dives in. It was ill-disciplined. Mm-hmm. He's the guy then on the line who doesn't clear the header. I'm not entirely blaming him for that. Maybe he just whizzes past him. There's nothing he can do. He can't adjust his body. But it's like almost two mistakes in one. Um, and that was it. Now, the other side to it is they didn't create a single shot on goal. Now, they had chances but a shot on goal, a shot on target as registered by the stats people. Not one. So that the one the one-on-one with the keeper did not count as an actual shot on target? No. Why? Because no. it was just they kind don't, of smothered no. off his foot? That, that, that would go down under big chances, but it's not an actual shot. I mean, it's, well, it's quite a big chance. I almost feel like that's not even doing it justice. Six shots overall for the Dutch, none on target. Twelve shots overall, twice that for the Czechs, five on target. And by the way, the Czechs were looking good. They were getting at the right-hand side of the Dutch. They were looking pretty decent. After a shaky start where I thought the Dutch could have scored early on, the Czechs grew into the game, and we should give them credit. Mm. Another horrifying stat from this one, Andrew. Uh, Opta Johan. <laughs> 10. Jorginho Wijnaldum completed just 10 passes across 90 minutes versus the Czech Republic. The fewest by a Dutch outfield player to play the full game in a Euros, in a Euros knockout round in recorded history. So that's since 1980, 40 years. Nullified. The manager will invariably fall in a sword, and he did earlier today. That was it. He was gone. I do feel bad for him. I've like he's he was such a legend of a player and a legend of Dutch football. It's sad the way this has worked out, but um I guess it's a combination of players and and manager. Of course. Of course. And that's that's rational. <laughs> players like guys who should be uh, of a certain level, did not perform to that level in this game. Mm. Um, so I, I can't get away from this thing that, and it, it's probably naive, and someone will tell me it's naive, but when they went down to 10 men, I thought, this is a team that likes to play in transition on the break. Maybe the Czechs have more of the ball and being, maybe this will suit the Dutch in some way. Maybe they can catch them on the break. None of that happened. No. Um Hmm. Yeah, I was one. You, when you're talking about, you're reading through those uh, Dutch headlines, just those scud missiles. Yeah, and um, you know, I think about. I, I was once JJ at a uh, in a bar in Barcelona, and that's like, not that's not like you at all. Have you ever have you ever been to like an ice bar where like everything is ice, like the whole bar is ice, like the the glasses that you're drinking out of are ice. 
It was real. It's cool. Like they give, like you put on like a wool coat when you walk in there, and like in Barcelona, the hottest Barcelona. place. Yeah, it was kind of. It was really neat, but right. there, it was it was quiet though. It was only my family, and then there was this group of Dutch people, and I went to order a drink up at the bar, and I, to me, this didn't feel weird. I paid for my drink. I laid down a credit card, and they went in on me. Really? This group of Dutch Americans with their credit cards, Americans with their credit cards, always credit cards, always credit. It's like, first of all, who are you? Mind your own business. Leave me alone. And like, what? What is also weird about me using a credit card here? And so I walked away and told my family, like, eh, forget them. But I, as you can see, years later, I, I don't forget. JJ. I don't forget. <laughs> so you've held on to this again. So weird. Is that a thing? Uh, <clears throat> Americans and their credit cards. Yeah. Oh, really? So. <laughs> Are you just messing with me? I have like, no <laughs> idea. Pro- probably in any tourist area, people who work in the service industry probably like to see you come in with cash so they can get tipped in cash. I do. I, I you throw put it on the buck, credit card. A and dollar, yeah, and I take out like a, or whatever. I wasn't paying in dollars there in Spain. Um, but yeah, I usually, t- I, I pay, I like, it's not weird to put your credit card down behind the bar, keep it on, my, like, open, keep my tab open. Like, this is a thing. Right. It was very weird. Old credit card Andy. No, no, no. I will not <laughs> accept that nickname. Um, well, I, I wanted to ask you a question before we get out of this uh, this game. Right. Um, because we do still have Italy and Belgium and <laughs> God almighty. Um, we talk a lot of times in these major tournaments about players who were off of most people's radars beforehand and then do stuff <laughs> and suddenly become, like, worth prices that they're probably not actually worth Ooh. is something happening with patrick schick in this tournament yeah oh, there's certainly something <laughs> happening with him do you know what he is classic in normal times patrick schick signs for newcastle <laughs> it, it's just right isn't it come on well, why not now yeah what do you mean in normal times? probably no they're they're tabling the bid as we speak they're going to break the record 50 million it's going to be and people and like fans will be excited about it cuz they just spent 3 weeks watching like goals from midfield and goals in the round of 16 against the like people will get excited if you find out that he's going to be on your team the but t- the- but i just wonder if like is this am i being arrogant in a in a way against like little czech republic to say that like this is going to turn into a pumpkin at some point like that like if he goes to one of those clubs, it's going to be like, oh, maybe we're not getting what we saw at that tournament. No, no. I mean, look, he has nine goals last season for Leverkusen. Yeah, he's a guy. He's not in double figures. Right, he's he, a guy. He's a guy. He's twenty-five as well. You know, sometimes players just have tournaments. Yeah, and that's why we don't sign based on tournaments anymore. There's a lot more goes call into it. The, the Arshavin effect. Yeah. Also, Spurs. Spurs in the nineties. They loved signing on. Oh, they signed uh, Ili Dumitrescu based on the ninety-four World Cup from Romania. Didn't work out. No, haven't heard much about him. No. in the years since. But they also signed Jika Popescu from. Uh, I can't remember. Was it Stoya Bucharest? And he didn't do much for Spurs, and then he went to Barcelona. And was brilliant. So there you go. You never the Paulinho him. effect. <laughs> <laughs> and the Mourinho effect. Lots of effects that Tottenham have, and they're all negative. Uh, a couple other games, JJ, that we, we've got to mention. Belgium-Portugal, um, along with England-Germany, it was the other glamour fixture of this round. Didn't turn out to be what we thought it was going to be. Italian, more, more, Italian so, 90 vibes. Yeah, more so on the, the Belgium side of things. They, I think their, the Hazard, Thorgan Hazard goal was their only shot on target. Yeah. And even that shot, I saw it in real time, and I screamed. I thought, oh. 
what a goal. Then I saw the replay and I thought, what a goal that probably should be saved. Yeah, Priest, David Priest, who we always go to, the high priest of goalkeeping, he said that the movement on the ball and the step that Patricio takes, the like the ball is really, if you could call a shot a disguised, a trick. Yeah, it was tricky. It was tricky and that's why, although he got that one flailing hand so close to it, but he's not stopping that. Even if he gets a full hand on it, that's still going in. It's a great strike. That's and, a brilliant and, strike. And it can't be, a, I think the, the shot, I mean, that play was almost doomed before Patricio had a chance to save it. That can't be allowed to happen. Portugal, just like way too much space. Mm. Um, I forget who it was. Sammy Kadira did a good breakdown on ESPN uh, after that game about that goal occurring. I think, was it Bernardo Silva? I'm trying to remember now who it was that did not track back. Um, and uh, and allowed that to happen. If it wasn't Bernardo Silva, then I apologize. But basically, there was somebody in por- for Portugal that did not get back, and like allowed that, and it uh, burned them. It did burn them, and they kind of burned themselves. A team so talented to be engaging in just, I don't know. They they wanted the game to be a battle, so they battled. They put in the tackles, Paulinha flying around the place, hacking at people. They created a few chances towards the end, but nothing really skillful or... No, but they seemed to be making much more of an effort to try to... And look, they were losing, so they had to, but like, mm-hmm. God almighty, the the attacking power on Belgium. I mean, Lukaku was pretty anonymous in this game. Um, you know, even before the injuries, Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne were not really factors. This was... I mean, this game had a lot to do with that very, very good back three for Belgium. The, the Aldevarel, Vertonghen, Vermeulen back three. Yes. They were critical in this game, I thought. They were. Their their combined age of 150 or 270 or whatever it is really, really came to the fore for them. But Belgium, again, were, were much more constricted um, as as they kind of have been this tournament. They're not one of the teams that, like we said from our friend John Muller, keep the game high like a dominant club site. They don't they're, they haven't been doing that. Um, but now the concern turns to the injuries which they they accrued in this game, Andrew. And uh, I was looking at Christophe Terreur, who is the Belgian uh, London-based journalist. This is uh, what he tweeted just earlier today. Roberto Martinez on the injuries. It's quite positive for us. Eden and Kevin have no structural damage. Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne. They will remain with the squad. With the squad, we won't get them fully fit for Friday. In the next phase, they will be fit to play. We take it day by day. Wait, so he has ruled them out for the quarterfinal? He said, "Roberto Martinez admits that time is not on their side with those injuries. Touch and go. He's not fully ruling them out, but it. Eden and Kevin have no structural damage. They will remain with the squad. We won't get them fully fit for Friday." In the next phase, they will be fit to play. I well, don't then, know then, what that means. Well, really, they'll have but, their work. <clears throat> uh, that that back three is going to have their work cut out for them again, um, if that's the case, because Kevin and Eden are <laughs> pretty lethal important in attack. Um, yeah. So yeah, that I mean that. Fortunately, Belgium looked very sound defensively. Uh, it, we talked about it in not just in this tournament, but in qualifying. I think they only allowed three goals. That's right. Um, and scored 40 of their own. So I think on Portugal, Andrew, what we said in our group previews about them being conservative and not making the most of the incredible talent they have kind of came to fruition in this tournament, really. Underwhelming, 
negative, nasty. And uh, I wouldn't go as far as what Roy Keane said about Joe Felix. Did you see that? No. Called him an imposter. Said he was just terrible when he came on and, you know. I was a little bit surprised that Bruno Fernandes didn't start. But he's been poor. Like, he hasn't had a good tournament, so I guess he wanted to mix it up a bit. But I, I, under, I mean, I guess I understand it. Uh, yeah. It was not Man United, Bruno Fernandes at this at this tournament. No. Uh, no, it wasn't. They were... I mean, look, in the end, somebody had to lose this game. We were going to be sitting here. One of these two teams was going to be left with a disappointing tournament. Um, and it just it happens to be Portugal. I'll say this about Belgium. If they do wind up winning this thing, they will have earned it. Yes. Because uh, their road to have to go through Portugal and then Italy, who survive Austria... Uh, that was, I mean, Italy in that game, centimeters from going out almost with with the Arnaud. goal that occurred and then was rightfully I thought oh yeah taken off it the was, board it was but very lucky I mean in the in yeah. the if in the pre-var days that's a goal no one's no one's having an issue with that well um, until they saw the replays I mean I thought Arnautovic was a half a yard offside yeah okay fair enough. They got lucky, but it they, would have been one of those goals. Had it been allowed in a pre-VAR world, it would be a goal that you know. Yeah, you're probably everyone would be screaming, "We need VAR! We need VAR!" No, you're probably right, and I think Italy's second half performance was so poor anyway that they could have gone out just on that alone, uh, but they didn't, and they rallied and they made extra time theirs and didn't get to the lottery, quote unquote, of penalties, mm-hmm. and um, could it be just another galvanizing game? It was their first game outside of Rome. It was at Wembley. They weren't good, but they got they made it through. Although Chiesa's goal was great. It was just really, really great. We're talking about Morata's control and finish. Chiesa had so much to do to get that. Uh, he kind of took it on the side of his head, and then it comes down. And just to turn the player and then volley it into the, to the far side was excellent. But still, they, they conceded for the first time in this tournament too. When um, uh, Kalajic, his header, which... Unbelievable! He stoops down to head it. Uh, I think Donnarumma should have done better, but still, I think it might be one of those surviving advanced games for Italy where this is more what tournament football is. They had so much joy against Turkey and Switzerland and even Wales, but those games don't seem like they seem like a phony war. This you're the, not going to be perfect in every game of a tournament. No, and and but the good teams still win the game. The first not. time they met really stiff opposition, truly stiff opposition. With their first team, they beat them. So that's good. Yeah. But, the the, I mean, that is stiff, stiff opposition, but, like, it's it's certainly not the toughest that they could have been facing. Well, they're about to face Belgium. Um, yeah, although, boy. A, a Belgium without De Bruyne and, and, and Eden Hazard. Yeah, that's, I would, I would pick Italy. I would favor them right now. But that's that's an interesting one, um, and then we we should also mention JJ that Denmark send Wales packing four uh, nil in this one. Yes, the game kind of turned on the controversial call uh, or well, non-call, right? Going through the back of Kiefer Moore, play was allowed to resume. It was finished L- off by a goal. Look, it's a free kick, but with the way VAR works, VAR is going to look at that and think too much has happened in between that. It's not a clear, I suppose you could adju- adjudicate that as a clear and obvious error by the referee. It's tough. It's tough when you watch the replay. I think it was a foul, but whatever. I thought so too, but I, but I'm not necessarily disappointed that VAR wouldn't 
would allow to have happen what happened. Right. And that I makes ju- sense. I, yeah, I got you. And I think there's too much happens in between times. Nico Williams should have cleared it too. Um, Wales started that game well, but they needed to score early and they didn't do it. And then Dahl- Dahlberg pulls out this piece of magic. And after that, I thought Denmark were comfortably the better side. Yeah. Um, and Wales haven't... I don't know. I guess they've been constantly written off in the tournament. They've played really... I think they played really well. On, it, like It's another solid tournament for Wales. It's funny, though. You're right. Uh, be, again, you, you forget because you see Ramsey, Bale... You yeah. know, big name players are well, on this Welsh team, so you see those guys, but you almost forget it's little Wales. Like this is not like for them to be so disappointed at going out in the round of sixteen in a major tournament. That says something about how far they've come. I I think as well the game, the way the game went, managed their disappointment afterwards. In fact, it exacerbated well, yes, it. They were furious. They had to stand and wait for VAR to rule on a fourth goal when the game was practically over. Like, the game was done. Now, yeah. protocols must be followed, but you saw Gareth Bale rolling his eyes as the referee waits for it. And they were annoyed about the decision. Uh, they were annoyed about Chris Gunter um, had a moan on Instagram, and he, he had every right, I suppose. Every nation had fans wherever they went, Gunter wrote on social media, but Wales did not, apart from the 350 who broke government rules and bank accounts to be there. You and us deserve more from this joke setup of a tournament, but who said life was fair? Have a cry, but then smile that we are dining at the top table again, which is probably the correct way to look at it. And then, um, of course, there was Gareth Bale, who was uh, asked about his future. and um, So he was asked about it a couple times. Well, the, he the was, first time, clearly, he was asked by it from somebody from the BBC, right? So it was from the BBC. And somebody they, who he must not have any respect for, I guess. No, he well, okay, the first way he was asked it, if I remember correctly, was, obviously, and this is me pretending, paraphrasing, obviously, Gareth, there's been a lot of talk about your future. Something like that. And he walks. He shakes his head, he goes, nah, and he walks. Right. And this is him talking to the Welsh uh, broadcaster, uh, S4C. And he was asked again, essentially the same question about his future with Wales. There's been a lot said about your future. Please tell me that armband's going to be on your arm for that World Cup qualification. Yeah, no, of course I, I, I want to continue to play. Obviously, people ask stupid questions all the time. And, uh, but yeah, obviously I love playing for Wales. I will, I will play for Wales until the day I stop playing football. Look forward to seeing you the next time you're wearing the red of Wales. I mean, was that question any stupider than the one asked by the BBC reporter? No, but I'm... It was phrased differently, I suppose. I think the tone was probably different. Maybe. The tone was more, please stay, Gary. <laughs> uh, it's funny because these <clears throat> tournaments, they're just so fleeting. Because like, I, I think about Bale in particular. And all of, like, everything you heard about his time at Real Madrid, how he just, like, so much more cherished his experiences with Wales and that there was talk that his move to Tottenham was really not about Tottenham but was just so he could go someplace competitive and play and get game action where he so he could be ready for this with Wales. And then just, like, poof, gone. It's it's over, 4-0, round Like, all that Gareth Bale buildup, and it's just, like, it's over. You were nothing more than North London training for Gareth Bale. We all knew what we were getting out of this relationship. We used each other. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I kind of enjoyed Wales in, at times. I did too. In this tournament. Uh, I love watching him. I hope wherever I, he go, wherever Bale goes next for his club football, whether it be back to Real Madrid, back to Spurs, somewhere else, uh, I, I'll, I'll enjoy watching him wherever it is. He's a great player. Ramsey v. Turkey was the performance for me. Okay. Really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. Nothing against the Welsh. No. 
Certainly not. So there it is, round of 16, JJ. So we got our quarterfinal matchups now. Belgium, Italy, Switzerland, Spain, Ukraine, England, Czech Republic, Denmark. A lot of the usual suspects gone, like we mm. mentioned at the top of the podcast. Group of death, gone, all of them. That's who would have thought. Um, pretty fascinating. I mean, obviously, Belgium, Italy is probably the one that you are, most people would be salivating uh, over. Pumped over that one. Yeah. That one is, it's got, it's got so many elements to it. And it's going to be in the Allianz Arena in Munich. Mm. So... I, I don't know how that affects things. Does it affect things? Does that give anybody the advantage? Maybe there's... I mean, there's a large Italian population in that part of Germany. Large Belgian population. Well, Belgium's not a big country, so maybe the Italians will have the upper hand in the stands. Fascinating game. I Sweating over the fitness of Hazard and De Bruyne is, is, is another element to it. Switzerland and Spain, Switzerland are going to be really... I mean, they're, their confidence should be uh, as high as it can possibly get. I don't mean to talk down to them because they've held the upper hand over Ireland in our meetings lately, but they are playing with house money here. That's how I feel anyway, and I think they can give Spain a real problem. They they won't fear Spain. They'll know they'll have seen what Croatia can do. They'll see Spain's weaknesses. Um, Czech Republic, Denmark. All right, I'm excited for all these games. But Czech Republic, Denmark, I think the Danes... And I'm not saying they're better that Christian Eriksen isn't in their side. That is not what I'm saying. No. But they have found a way to play that is different without him, and that is very, very good. So they were the, – I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. They were my pre-tournament dark horse to reach a semifinal. And they're right on the doorstep against an opponent that they feel they should beat. Now the Czech Republic will feel that way too. Um, but I would probably pick Denmark. I'm going to go back to John Muller's graph just to show how attacking Denmark are, 10% of all touches in Denmark's games are in the opponent's box more than any other team. That's a huge number. That's a lot. Huge number. So, um, by the way, follow John Muller. I'm robbing all his stuff here, but it's really good. And then England-Ukraine, JJ. Yeah, England-Ukraine. As football looks to return home. They're going to go to Rome, but then football's going to try to come home after that. When I was in England, I went to the home. Oh, football. God. Here it is again. modest, a split level. We're not positive it's you went. You went to the yeah, home. I went to see the home when I was in England. Oh, Football. you did. Yeah, split level. Yeah, it was a split level. Nice garden. Uh, weeds growing a little bit. Looked like it could have probably been tended to. Yeah, nice car in, in, in at the front of the house. Uh, a Nissan Altima, solid. Five years old though. <laughs> uh, yeah. Used, yeah. Yeah, definitely. that's the home that football's coming back to. Hmm. Uh, but uh, one of the things when I when I just look at all these uh, the nations that are left, I don't know who I'm necessarily thinking of to say like. Like th- that, a champion of this tournament could be boring, but I, like all the teams left here are interesting to me. Yeah, like whoever whoever's going to go on and win this, it will be some sort of like really interesting story to me. I don't know who would have been. Not I agree in- with Maybe you. Maybe France would have been not interesting because they were such a a favorite. We've seen them win a lot lately. I don't know who that team is that could be here. Where I would say that no, I don't care. But like all of this will be interesting. I, I'm just going through them right now, and all the storylines are there in my head. They have all interest. They are all how would you captivating. How would you power rank most interesting stories? I think, obviously, with, what, with the way this tournament started for Denmark, to think of how this could end, that to me is a, it's like a, an insane script. Insane. Uh, I th- obviously, England being involved... Uh, would be with the games being played at Wembley, the final at Wembley, that would be a fascinating story. 
um, the Ukraine's place in the world. Do well, you... like I said, they're they're plus thirty three hundred in the final eight. So if you want, that's good value. So I would say they're they're in the final eight. It's exceptional. And if, they, and if they win against England, then they'll have to beat either Czech Republic or Denmark. It's not impossible. That's too much money and pressure to put on the scrawny shoulders of uh, Alexander Zinchenko. I feel like we should lay something down, JJ. On Ukraine. They're in the final eight at plus 3,300 on William Hill. Gamble responsibly, guys. But um, <laughs> We'll talk off we'll, air. We'll talk we live in New air. York, though, so we can't. It's, right? We can't. There's no online betting in New York. There are ways. I'm not. There are. I, I am not. I am not. I, I just feel like we're kind of staring at. Like they're they are in the final eight. Like if you said, okay, Leicester City's odds are still. What what was Leicester City? Three thousand to one. Five thousand. Five thousand to one. Like if this is the equivalent of Leicester City still being five thousand to one with like eight weeks left in the Premier League season and them doing what they're doing. Like Ukraine are in the last eight. There's only seven other teams. Plus thirty three hundred. That's a huge number. <laughs> yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll we'll talk later. All right. Um, the Swiss, the Spanish, Spanish are on their own. This their own little story of as they try to break. Away. I love them. I'm going to say right now. I know you said earlier in the tournament you were rooting for them to go out because you were tired of of this style. But they were, yeah, but they've got progressively I better. I love it. Growing into the tournament, I'm cliche. So, I'm so in on Spain. I have a Spanish jersey. Actually, I'm going to go home. I'm going to sleep in it tonight. I'm I'm so, I'm excited about what they're doing, and I I kind of want to see an oh, England Spain final. Boy, yeah. this is great stuff. This, God bless this, this is, tournament. This is truly wonderful. We were going to close, JJ. I have a section here because we've just been so Eurocentric, and understandably so. So I did want to include a section here called "Other Things Are Happening." And I I I'm the only one that's done any work for this. That's segment. not true. I have important MLS things that I want oh. to mention. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go away with MLS right Thiago now. Andrade scored an unbelievable 94th minute goal for NYCFC against DC United to win. I don't know what DC United. Remember the goal? I guess it was Belgium, Japan at the World Cup where, like, off the corner kick. Yes. Japan just, like, had pushed everyone forward. And, and they were like, oh, oh wait. They're, that's right. They were like, oh, wait, there might actually still be time left. But, they, it was, but it was like, what was it, three? It was 2-2, two, two and they were going to win it. Like. Right, so they pushed everyone up. Yeah, and, and Lukaku this, scored. Yeah, yeah. The, the same thing kind of on a not quite as important scale. Um, the same thing happened to D.C. United, where they basically pushed everyone up in the 94th minute with four minutes of stoppage time on a corner kick. And Sean Johnson collects it and then just plays it out. And Thiago, who's come on, for the, this Brazilian signing has come on and just been fantastic for NYCFC, dribbles 80 yards and scores a great goal to win it. Fun ending. The, the, top, the only thing I wanted to mention, I was kind of using that as a way into – uh, the top of the Eastern Conference is really looking like it's going to be a lot of fun. There are right now between uh, New England, who are living up to all the preseason hype, Orlando City, Philly, uh, NYCFC. You've you got four really quality teams at the top of the Eastern Conference that, that it's going to be fun watching them jockey for position. Meanwhile, I don't want to ignore out West, but see, the Sounders are doing sounder things again. They have not lost yet this season. They are a machine. Uh, so, yes, that was my my quick um, look at MLS. Okay. And now JJ's back. Uh, <laughs> no, I was listening, oh. enjoying, sucking it in. David Ornstein tweeting today, exclusive Crystal Palace, ooh, Crystal Palace set to appoint Patrick Vieira as manager. Agreement in principle reached but not signed yet. 
work permit acts, uh, process for 45-year-old former Nice boss and Arsenal invincible underway. Confirmation expected in due course. Now, Andrew, you often, well, you introduced me to this phrase, failing upwards. Mm. Is this failing upwards? Kind of feels like he hasn't done anything to well, land a Premier League job. A, a safe Premier League, a safe Premier League job. What do you mean by safe? Uh, Roy Hodgson has done sterling work stabilising that club after the <laughs> the board debacle and come in and kind of settle things down. Yeah, I mean, he was fired at Nice, right? Yeah. So... NYCFC battered every time they got into the playoffs. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It feels like you're... On, ha- on paper... Right. It's hard to argue with that. Okay. Uh, it feels harsh. Does it? But oh, look, I, I can't. Here's the thing. I want to say he's failing upward because, like, like I get where you're coming from, but I can't sit here and tell you enough about what went wrong at Nice for me to say whether or not right. it was justified. There like, may, yeah. like when a manager gets fired, JJ, in the Premier League or an MLS or with the U.S. men, or like we do entire segments about whether or not it was fair. And oftentimes it's not. There's a lot that plays into it. Right. I can't tell you what the hell happened there. Okay. Me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on that, and yeah. uh, we'll see what happens at Crystal Palace. And okay. then when he's inevitably fired there, we'll, re- we'll reevaluate. Uh, troubling news from London, Andrew. Scott Parker leaves Fulham with the blessing of our old friend mutual consent. But in a stunning move, the Fulham club statement offers not a single one of Adam Hurry's manager departure criteria. Scott Parker was not thanked for his efforts, Mm. not wished well for the future, nor was he welcomed back at any time. Now, that may be because Fulham knew old Scotty would end up within a few hours as manager of championship promotion rivals, we expect, Bournemouth. That is a good job to get into, I would think. Bournemouth, who were in the playoffs. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Maybe, I wonder why Fulham would be so, on the surface, bitter. Like, maybe I guess they could have accepted if he took a Premier League job. We understand. But, now like, you're going to bail on us for another championship club? Yeah. There must be more to it there. I wonder what the, the falling out was over. But it was a very terse statement from the from the ownership, from the Cannes ownership. Uh, I've started watching, this is news, I've started watching Maradona in Sinaloa on Netflix. Hmm. The story of his time as manager of Dorados in the second division trying to get them up into Liga Emeki's, the first division. It's... It's actually pretty interesting, and I can't help but like this guy, and um, I'm, I'm I'm really enjoying it. And I I wanted to watch it for a long time, but it was hard after he 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 passed away. So now I'm doing it, and uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, LFG is next, the HBO production that prompted a 17 tweet missive from US Soccer, who were disputing some of the claims made in LFG pertaining to the equal pay dispute. I'm going to watch that on uh, HBO. I'm also reading Tarek Panja on Gennaro Gattuso, his agent Jorge Mendes, and his 23 days in charge of Fiorentina. There's a really good article out. Um, Tarek, who's been on this podcast from the New York Times, uh, talks about, yeah, how the 23 days ended, Jorge Mendes, the signings that they wanted 
uh, Fiorentina to make. Very interesting. And it all led up to Gattuso being approached or talked to about the Tottenham job. And finally, Copa America. Copa America. We got to the quarterfinals, Andrew. Uh, Peru-Paraguay on Friday at 5pm. Brazil-Chile, Friday at 8pm. Uruguay-Colombia, Saturday at 6pm. And at 9pm on Saturday is Argentina-Ecuador. I wonder if this is Messi's, not last chance, I won't say that, but best chance left for that elusive international silverware. In this kind of COVID-y, weird, moved around, will it, won't it happen, Copa America, this could be the one that he wins. We'll but, now, but now it's interesting. Now it's interesting. Yeah, I saw, I, I forget what the tweet was exactly, but it was something to the effect of it took all that time to eliminate Bolivia and Venezuela. <laughs> yep. Like that's, what, that's what the group stage yielded. I was listening to Tim Vickery on a podcast two weeks ago where they were at the will-they-won't-they they stage. There are 12 rounds of World Cup qualifying left to happen. And he believed they should be using this window to play some of those World Cup qualifiers. <laughs> during a Copa America? No. Or not, just during what? Not have it. Not have it. Like, it was, once it couldn't happen where it was meant to happen, and then they were looking for people to take it on, and then Bolsonaro steps in and decides, hey, bring it to Brazil. We have lots of COVID problems. Rather than do any of that and have Brazil nearly veto the tournament and not participate, use the time to get World Cup qualifying rolling or continue it rolling. The calendar next year will be every bit as mental and crazy as this calendar, and I wonder where we'll all be at the end of it. I can't wait. I have re-fallen in love with international football. Right. Uh, I'm so excited for the U.S. men in the World Cup qualifying campaign. This podcast was an absolute beast. I don't care. Well worth this it. This was like, this makes like a Bill Simmons podcast look nice and tight. We are Roganing this podcast. <laughs> we are Joe Roganing this podcast with, uh, with obviously. Well, look, there's no games for a couple days. So you, you've got time to digest this in multiple commutes, multiple uh, runs that you go for. Yeah. Uh, so, however you want to take this in, but this was God. This is these last few days have been so fun, and there's still plenty of games to go. So I don't we know. still have a lot of work to be done. I don't know if you have any music planned for us to go out on, but I just want to hit this one more time. Mbappé gegen Sommer. Mbappé. Was ist los? Ja, ja, er zählt, der Treffer zählt, die Schweiz steht im Viertelfinale. Oh, good stuff, man. To you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 